you'll go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20 will be our text this morning. And I uh, just want to thank uh, Leland and the praise team for leading us this morning in worship. We've been singing about Christ our King, and now we get to read the words of our King. And my prayer is that the King will transform our lives this morning as we gather here at Bloomfield Baptist Church. In Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, I'm going to read. Christ's words to the disciples, His words to us today. Uh, He tells a parable about laborers who go out to work in a vineyard, and then we will talk about what God might have to say for us this morning through His Word. So let me read this text and then pray for us. Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, They grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. Let's pray for our time in God's Word this morning. Sovereign God, we have lifted our voices to You this morning. We have lifted up our prayers. We have come into this place, perhaps with different motives. Perhaps some uh, this morning have come out of a desire to worship, a desire to to know the one true living God. Perhaps some have come this morning simply because this is routine for them. This is, this is what they do this day of the week. Perhaps others have come because uh, they felt inclined to do so. Uh, maybe a spouse or a child or a parent said they needed to be here. The great thing is, regardless of our reasons for being here, they may be different. But, but your reason for having us here is the same. You desire to speak to us this morning. You desire to speak your words to us this morning. And so, Father, I pray through your Holy Spirit that you would speak them in power and in strength and in might. That we might understand and respond to the gospel and to the grace of you, our sovereign God. We pray for these things in Christ's name. Amen. Some of you here are very uh, perceptive people. You're able to, to figure things out pretty quickly. 
Maybe you go see a, a movie or you watch a TV show that's a mystery and you kind of annoy those around you because within 20 seconds you've already kind of figured it out. You know where it's going and how it's going to work out and how it's going to end. And then for the rest of us, uh, we kind of need some obvious hints along the way. We, we need things spelled out for us. And fortunately for us, that's exactly what God does in His Word. He, he, he gives us the obvious, and, and oftentimes what we find is Jesus communicates in the parables. It's, it's kind of like that, that low-hanging fruit on a tree. It, it's right there for us. We just have to reach out and, and take it. Uh, Jesus, when He speaks in parables, is often just boiling things down to us in a story so, so that we can get it. And, and we need that because sometimes otherwise we don't. And God does this throughout His words. You think about uh, David and his sin with Bathsheba. He, he is blind to his own sin. And so Nathan has to come along and share with him a story. He understands the story. He doesn't understand who he is in the story. But as he understands that story, God uses that to help him see the bigger picture. His, his eyes are open to the truth. And my prayer for you and I this morning is that that's what would happen for us, that as we look at this parable, this, this story about a master, uh, about some workers he hires, and about the, the, the reckoning for paying them wages, the reckoning for the work they've done, that, that, that much like Nathan, Nathan, excuse me, David responded to Nathan, we will respond to the story. We'll, we'll see the truth because I think what we have here is a, a foundational truth about God, a foundational truth about the gospel a foundational truth about grace, a foundational truth about what, what's it even mean to be a Christian in the first place. Because you see, all of us come in this room today with, with preconceived notions and ideas, some of them that have been taught to us since we were very young, some that we've just kind of picked up along the way. And so many of those ideas are things like this. Well, while I understand that salvation's a free gift, you still got to work for it. I mean... I mean, you, you still got to be as good as you can. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, in some way, shape, or form, I mean, our good's got to outweigh our bad. And yet, that's not what, what the gospel teaches us. And Jesus uses this story to help us understand that. So what we're going to do, we're just going to walk back through the parable, make sure we all understand what's taking place here, and, and then we're going to unpack this towards the end of our time together this morning and look at three things we can pull away from this. But, but first, let's look at it. Verse 1. Jesus says, for the kingdom of heaven is like. So we know here Jesus is basically saying, okay, you, you can't understand heaven. You haven't been there. You don't understand the kingdom. We've already seen from Jesus the way he talks about the kingdom is radically different than the religious leaders of his day thought about the kingdom. And so he's saying, let me help you understand what the kingdom is like. And he tells a story. Uh, he says a master, uh, essentially this would be a, a lord, someone who owns a lot of property, a lot of land, they go out to find workers. Uh, in Jesus' day, uh, men of great wealth like this one would have had many employees already. Uh, they would have had people that they employed year-round that were just people who worked for them. Uh, they would have had servants, people who essentially had become indebted to them and they're paying off their debt by working for them. And then at times, they would do what, what some of you who are farmers do. They would, at harvest time, they need some extra work. They'd go out to find those extra workers. And so uh, there was an area in just about any town. You can find these still around the world today uh, where, where they're in a marketplace. The, the laborers would gather and they would look for work. Uh, the, these were not guys who were out there just to 
try to make a little extra money on the side. This was their vocation. If they didn't get paid that day, it's likely that their families didn't eat that day. So it's very important that they have work each day. And so they're in the marketplace. The laborers are gathered, essentially waiting for people to come and to hire them. Well, as we just read, Jesus tells a story. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like this master goes there and he hires some workers. And the text tells us that there seems to be some negotiation that takes place. Uh, he and those workers decide upon a wage. He's going to pay them a denarius. Uh, we've talked about uh, the, the economy in Jesus' day, different uh, ways of measuring money. You and I don't think in terms of a denarius, but essentially what this is is it's a day's wage. So whatever you make on a daily basis, whatever you think is a fair daily wage, that, that's essentially what Jesus is saying here. Uh, that he's going to pay these men this amount of money. What amount? This is what it usually is payment, a denarius for a day's wage. He's agreed with them. They go out, they work. Now, for most of us, if we're thinking through this on a practical level, that's kind of where it ends. We need some extra workers, we go out, we get them. We need some work, we go out, we get hired, we go to the vineyard. It's done, but that's not how the story ends. Because Jesus is teaching us about something more here than work ethic and labor relations. He says then that... The master goes back out. So he's hired a group of workers. He's taking them over here to the vineyard. He goes back over to the marketplace about the third hour. Indication here would be that, that, that he goes in the morning probably for us about 6 a.m. He goes back the third hour probably about 9 a.m. There's still some people there that need work. So he hires some more people. He takes them to the vineyard. Difference here. Instead of saying that they agree on a wage, he essentially tells them, listen, you go work for me. I'm going to pay you what's fair. Who are they to argue? They're still standing there. They don't have work. They go work for him. He's going to pay them something fair. Story doesn't end there, though. Then we see this this master go back, go back, go back. He goes around noon, around 3 p.m. He goes at the 11th hour, 5 p.m. The workday is almost over, and he hires some more people. And then it comes time to pay them. And he does something very unusual. He calls his foreman, and he says, Listen, I want you to pay the last guys we hired first and not only that he pays the last guys he hired the same amount that he agreed to pay the first guys he hired now now think about this for a second uh, if you are in a position where you pay people this is not a good way to do business <laughs> i mean if you've got employees and for whatever reason you've decided well i'm going to pay that one a full hours or a full week's pay for one day's work and I'm going to pay the rest of these guys for seven days because they work seven days. I'm paying the same amount. One of them only worked one day. One of them worked all week. How are you going to do that? You're probably going to do it in a way where the people who worked all week doesn't see what you pay the guy who worked one day. In fact, most of you in the places you work may be in an environment where you don't know what people around you get paid. That's intentional. Why is that? Because what do you do? Somebody makes more than you do, you start grumbling and complaining. Well, how about him? How about her? Why do they make more than me? And then you're likely the person someone else is grumbling and complaining about. Why, why do they make more than me? And, and yet, that's exactly what happens in this story. Uh, intentionally, the focus is there. The focus is on the, the master wants those people who showed up first and worked all day to know exactly what he's doing. See, that's one of the first indications to us here that Jesus isn't just telling us a story about how we should run our businesses. 
He's not telling us a story about how we should deal with employees. He's, he's certainly not telling us a story about how we should be as employees as if our efforts and pursuit should be to be the 11th hour worker. You know, here's Jesus you know, told me in Matthew 20 that if I just show up at the last hour of the work day, then I'll get paid a full day's wages. You know, it's in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, and you're fired. I mean, that's, that's not going to work very well for you. Uh, That's not the point of the parable. No, Jesus is using a story probably to push people on edge a little bit to help teach them about something bigger. You see, he's teaching here about the kingdom. He's teaching them about the gospel. And specifically, he's teaching you and I this morning something about being first and last because you'll notice how the laborers respond. The ones who had been hired first see what everyone else makes. They assume they're going to get paid a lot more than they thought and then they're upset at what? They're not so much upset they don't get paid more than they thought. They're upset that these people who did barely any work get paid what they do. And then Jesus makes a statement similar to the end of verse 19. He says, the last will be first. There he said the first will be last. He reverses the order. We'll look at that in a minute. But, but, but we see the story. We've got an understanding of what's taking place here. Now let's unpack this and look at how this relates to us this morning at Bloomfield Baptist Church. See, this is more than a story. This is about the gospel. And as we look to it, the first thing we see, and I put this in your notes, is that the gospel, as we see it here, it calls us to abandon the works of the flesh. The gospel calls us to abandon the works of the flesh. You see, for for you and I to understand the gospel, we need to understand there's, there's a tension in all of our lives between our work ethic and the gospel of grace. And here's how this comes to play. In this passage, as you read about it, you probably start to think, well, man, these these guys who only worked uh, one hour, they don't have a very good work ethic. It seems that the people who worked all day, they seem to have a good work ethic. It says that they bore the burden of the day. They were in the scorching heat. Most of you this morning, when you hear this story read, when you read it, that's who you identify with. You don't think of yourself as the 11th hour person. You think of yourself as the hard worker. Why? Because that's who we are. We're, we're Americans. We're hard workers. We're, we're taught to work hard. Uh, you can walk into a bookstore and you will find uh, rack after rack after rack, shelves of books that talk about well, well, how you can get ahead by working harder. The harder you work, the better you'll do. You, you go to school, you're taught by your parents, work hard, get ahead. You're not going to get something for nothing. That's what we're taught. And so you, like I, probably receive the same junk mail and you probably respond the same way you get the email message you get the letter even now they're sending uh, uh, spam text to our phones that basically say hey you can work for one hour this week and you'll make eighty thousand dollars that's a pretty good hour you know well how do you respond when you get that that's not true <laughs> that's garbage that, that, you know, obviously somebody responds to it or they couldn't put them out. But most of us, we get these things about, you know, stay at home, work a few hours, make all this money, and we think, that doesn't add up. Why? Because that's not the way our economy works. For, for the most part, the way our economy works is you work hard, you get paid. You work harder, you get paid 
more you can move ahead and so we have all these stories that we celebrate about people who they started with nothing and look at where they're at today that's not an unbiblical principle you read solomon's words in the proverbs and you know what he says work hard you know what he says not to do don't be a sluggard don't roll around in your bed all day get out of bed and get to work you read Proverbs 31 where Solomon is essentially saying to his, to his boys, listen, this is the kind, of, this kind of woman you need to look for, boys. Men, read it. It's what you need to look for. It doesn't say, well, you know, a, a great godly woman is one who sleeps all day long. No, it says she, she gets out of bed, she burns the candle on both ends, she's a hard worker, she considers a field before she buys it. She's, she's, she's super mom. And, and look at her, she's working hard. That's what's celebrated. The Scriptures tell us, work hard. You, you get to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul tells the, the believers, the Colossians, the church there, listen, you work hard, and you don't work like you're working for that boss. You work like you're working for Jesus. Because that's who you're serving. And you better get out there and you better work. And so this notion that we can somehow take this parable to mean, well, Maybe I don't need to ever work in life. No, that's not what it's saying. But, but there is a tension here when it comes to that issue of work ethic. Because as much as we're supposed to work hard, we're presented with a gospel that tells us we can't work for it. <laughs> and yet we have ingrained in us this thought of, I've got to work. And then God says, no, when it comes to the gospel, you don't. Because you see, friends, no matter how much you or I try no matter how hard we work, no matter what little feeble picture we have in our mind that somehow we're going to stand before a righteous and holy God and there's going to be some scales there and, and here's our good works and here's our bad works and, and we're just sitting there going, oh, please let the good outweigh the bad. <laughs> there, there's nothing you or I can do that will ever be so good. The sovereign God of the universe will look at us and say, well, that's, that's worth putting my son on the cross. That, that guy right there, Richard, man, he's so good. That's, that's worth me offering up my only beloved son to die for him. No. Why does Christ die on the cross? He dies because the Scripture says, well, you better believe we're, we're working for something. We're earning something. Romans 6.23, the wages of our sin is indeed death. What we have earned is separation from God. But the free gift of God, it goes on to say, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a free gift that we receive. But in order to understand the gospel, in order to understand these things, we have to first abandon this whole notion that we can be so good we can earn something. It doesn't work that way. And Jesus in the story is telling us that. Because the focus in the story, it's not the first hour worker. The focus in the story is the 11th hour worker. See, the 11th hour worker, you think about that. Master comes over here and he hires him. By the time he's then traveled to get him to the vineyard, there's been an amount of time that's passed, probably shortly after he gets there. If not, when he gets there, they go ahead and pay these guys. The chances are they never even got to put their, their hand to the plow. Maybe they never even touched the fruit off the vine they were supposed to be harvesting. They literally show up, and by the time they've got their uniform on, they get a paycheck in their hand. 
We can do anything for it. That's what enrages the guys who've been working all day. But the, the point's not about the guys who've been working all day. The point is, listen, this is you and this is I. Friends, we are the 11th hour worker when it comes to the gospel. Our works don't earn us anything. We need to abandon that thought. Second, we need to understand that the gospel calls us to embrace the grace of God. As we abandon this notion that we can somehow work for our salvation, we need to then embrace the grace of God. Grace is simply unmerited favor. Grace is getting something we don't deserve. Grace is getting something we never could deserve. And that's exactly what we see here in this story. This master of the house goes out, and again, the, the first part of it plays out in a way that makes sense. He, he needs workers, he goes out, he gets them, he agrees on a price, he brings them to his vineyard. The rest of it doesn't make so much sense to us, because if it was you or I, it's time to harvest our fields, we've got an idea of what that's going to take, we're going to go out and hire the people to do it. When we start watching them work, we start thinking, well, this is going to take a little bit more. We're probably not going to run back and hire more people. We're probably going to make them work longer or work harder. We're going to jump in there and help them. But that's it's not what the master does. In fact, there's no indication in the text that when he sees them working, he thinks he needs more people. No, he puts them to work, and then it says he goes back to the marketplace. And he sees there's some people without work. So what's he do? He hires some of them. And three hours later, he goes back to the marketplace. And what's he do? He sees some people who need work. He goes back and hires them. And then he goes through that to the point where the one that makes no sense to us at all, he goes back at the 11th hour of the day and hires somebody for the last hour's work, which they're probably not going to get done by the time they get there anyways. I mean, think about that. We use the phrase 11th hour to imply what? We use it to imply someone who showed up at the last minute. In fact, that... that phrase you can take it bring it back historically to this is the text that phrase comes from in our culture when we say somebody's a 11th hour we usually think well man they got that assignment in at the 11th hour meaning what they they just got it in by the deadline uh you showed up at the 11th hour what are we saying we're saying i mean you got here just in time the the indication in how we use that word is that somehow this describes the person who procrastinates or the person who's running late, and yet that's not what it is here in the text. Think about what's happening. The master goes out, he finds people in the workplace who don't have work. Why? It's not because they're lazy. It's not because they don't want work. I mean, if you think about the culture and the geography of where this is, this marketplace, they're probably hot, they're probably miserable, they're just standing there, they're waiting all day for work, and they don't go home. Why? Because they, they need to work. These aren't lazy people. And yet, what does the master do? The master continues to go, and he continues to hire more people. What picture is Jesus presenting us with there? Remember, this isn't just a story about workers. It's a story about the kingdom of heaven. So who's the master? Well, the master, quite obviously, is God. And, and who's the workers? We are. Specifically, the 11th hour worker. And what's the big deal about the master going, going, going? Because it's a picture of God's grace. Think about the first account of sin we have in the Scripture. Adam and Eve are there in the garden. They've been presented with perfection. They, they've been presented with, with rules, with boundaries. Do this, don't do this. You can have 
anything you want to eat in this garden, but, but you just stay away from that tree. God's reminding them that, that He has ultimate dominion while He's given them dominion over this garden. He, he has ultimate dominion. And what do they do? They, they do what we do. They rebel against a holy God. They eat of that fruit of that tree. And what's the very first thing Adam and Eve do? They try to cover their sin and then they hide from God. As if we could ever hide from God. Now aren't you glad you don't do that? But Adam and Eve, they try. They, they try to hide from God. But what does God do? He goes to them. We don't read in Genesis that Adam and Eve feel really bad and start thinking, well, how, how can we... Man, I, I sure hope we can go talk to God about this. Man, I, I just wish there was a revival in town we could go to or some way we could go confess this to a priest. I mean, we feel so bad. No. They go and they run and they hide from God. What does God do? God pursues them. When you read the Scripture, God's always pursuing sinful people. You think about Moses. Moses kills somebody. He runs away. What does God do? God goes after him and speaks to him through a burning bush and calls him back. You think about Jonah. Jonah's a prophet of God told to go give the Ninevites a message. Jonah sins and rebels against God, runs the other way. What does God do? God goes after Jonah brings a storm, they throw him off the boat, he sends a fish who swallows him up, and he spits him out where he wants him. God's always pursuing people. And yet in our minds, we have this, this misguided notion that somehow we're the ones pursuing God, that, that we're walking through the, the Walmart aisle of spirituality, and well, let me try these things. Oh, well, yeah, this, let's see, Christianity's on sale, that looks good, I think I'll try that for now. Like we're finding something. And yet in the Scripture, God is finding us. God is pursuing us. God is going after us. Think about the man that God used through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write the words we're reading, Matthew. Matthew's sitting there, just everyday business. He's a tax collector. What does Jesus do? Jesus goes to him and he says, Matthew, it's time for you to follow me. And friends, that's exactly what he does in our lives today. You don't go looking for Jesus. God comes after you. And when God comes after you, he is relentless. And some of you this morning, you might be miserable because God is after you and he will not stop. He will not give up. You will all day long. And that's the point. That's why it doesn't work the other way around. Why the, the, the Walmart hour of spirituality doesn't pan out that way. Why God comes after us. And so what do we see in this parable about the gospel and about grace? We see a master who keeps going and going and going. And in the 11th hour, he's still going. Why? Because he doesn't want to leave anybody there. The indication here is that these are the last guys probably left. He says, come on and come here and I'm going to take care of you. Friends, that's exactly what he does in his grace for you and I in the gospel. And see, that's why this whole notion that somehow we earn it, we've got to work for it, it just doesn't pan out. Not only is it unbiblical, it doesn't make sense. Because think, I mean, really? You, you really think you've done something so good that it's turned the head of a sovereign God who's looked at you and said, oh, well, yeah, that's not seen that before. Wow, I mean, the other 7 billion people, they're a mess, but you, you look pretty good today. No. You know what he sees when he looks down at us? 
sees a lost and sinful humanity, and so he sends his son to the cross to die for our sin. And when we repent and place our faith in Jesus and, and, and he redeems us, then when he looks down, you know what he sees? He, he sees the blood of Jesus and he sees us covered in us. And he sees us made righteous through that. He doesn't see whether or not you didn't read your Bible this morning. He doesn't see whether or not you, you lost your temper at the stoplight with the person who cut you off. He doesn't see, well, you said you weren't going to do it again, and you did it again. No, he sees the righteousness of Christ because that's the whole point. That's what grace offers us and continues to offer us, and that's what the gospel calls us to, to abandon this notion that we can work for it, to embrace the understanding that it is only by God's grace that we receive salvation and Third and last, what we see in the gospel is it calls us to renounce worldly ambition, to renounce this idea that somehow we, we are owed something, we are deserved something, we need to be ambitious. It even seems in the parable here that the, the first laborers of the day are those who are very ambitious. They're the only ones in the parable who seem to negotiate with the, the master. They're the ones who seem to settle on a price. They're the ones, it, it, think about it. There's people who were hired just three hours after them, and yet we don't see them complaining in this passage. Nobody else complains except for those first-hour workers. It seems they've just got this ambition, this, this worldliness. This is what we deserve. They think, they think they're owed something by the Master. And friends, if we're not careful, that's exactly how you and I respond to a holy God, is we, we think He owes us something. So that's why at times when we pray and God doesn't answer our prayers, we we get kind of frustrated because we think, well, I can understand you're not answering their prayers, but me? <laughs> Come on, God. I've been through this. I've left everything to follow you. Well, what am I going to get? Does that sound familiar? See, I think Jesus in this parable is responding very much to Peter and the disciples and their comments that we read in chapter 19. And as they're looking at the rich young ruler going away, because he wouldn't leave his stuff behind, they, they look to Jesus and they say, well, Jesus, we left everything to follow you, so what do we get? I think Jesus says, well, let me tell you what you get. <laughs> he starts talking about how anything they get isn't what they deserve. Aren't you glad that you don't get what you deserve? See, what we deserve is eternal separation from God, but in God's grace, he gives us something else. But we've got we to rid ourselves of this notion, this worldly ambition. This thought that God owes us. A number of years ago I read an account from R.A. Torrey. Torrey was a great American evangelist in the late 1800s, early 1900s. He preached many, many revivals and sermons and had, had a great following. And in one account he shared about how he had had a man in a church he had spoken to about prayer write him this letter. And then he told about his response. I want to read it to you briefly this morning. This man wrote, Dear Mr. Tory, I am in great perplexity. I have been praying for a long time for something I am confident that is according to God's will, but I do not get it. I've been a member of the Presbyterian Church for 30 years. I've tried to be a consistent one all the time. I've been the superintendent of Sunday school for 25 years, an elder in the church for 20 years, and yet God does not answer my prayer. Can you explain why? Corey shared about his reply and said he could answer quite easily. He said, this 
Man thinks because he has been a consistent church member for 30 years, a faithful Sunday school superintendent for 25 years, an elder in the church for 20 years, that God is under some obligation to answer his prayer. He is really praying in his own name. And God will not hear our prayers when we approach him that way. We must, if we would have God answer our prayers, give up any thought that we have any claims upon God. There is not one of us who deserves anything from God. But friends, how often is that the way you and I approach God? We come to Him and we've got our list. It's not all good. I mean, I've messed up some here. But, uh, but God, I read my Bible today. I tried to treat my wife and my kids the way you call me to treat them. And, well, yeah, I did that. That wasn't right. But, you know, we start going through this list as if God is... Is, is taking this chalkboard in heaven and writing down what we did good and bad that day to figure out, well, I'll bless them, I won't bless them. And that's not how it works. See, we're just saved by God's grace, and that's it. And we respond out of gratitude, and we serve Him for the rest of our lives, not because, we, we, not because He owes us, we, we owe Him everything, but we can't earn anything. And it's that simple, and, and that's the point of the story. It's that simple, guys. It's the grace of God. It's the gospel. That, that's it. And yet, so often we, we miss it. I, ho- I hope you won't miss it today. I hope you'll see that, that where we are without Christ is lost and miserable and in our sin and, and, and there's nothing we can do to earn His favor and yet He snatches us out of that and He grabs us. And he rescues us. He saves us. He, he doesn't help us work harder. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us what we don't deserve. And that's the point. But I think what Christ is saying here is that so often our attitude can be that of the first worker who, who thinks he's owed something. And sometimes that's your attitude and my attitude. We think God owes us something. And yet I think Christ is telling us here, no, we are the last worker to show up. No matter what our work ethic is when it comes to the gospel, we have showed up and we're getting paid and we didn't do anything to deserve it. And God is the one who is sovereign over all these things. And if you have a question for him about that, then his response to you and his response to me is verse 15. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? You are not your own. You belong to him. For those redeemed in Christ Jesus, you're his children, and he will do with you what he pleases. But the great news is, he is a gracious, generous God. And we should be thankful for that. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the truth in it. God, I thank you for the simplicity of this parable that as much as we may think we're owed something or we need to work for something, the reality is that the gospel is free. Lord, I pray for those this morning who may be here thinking, well, no, it's not. Who perhaps are thinking that Well, I've got to work for it. I've got to earn it. I've got to do better. I haven't done good this week, and that's why I'm here today, to to try to make up for it. Father, I pray you would help them and I to understand that the only way we are saved is by grace. As your word says clearly to us, we've been rescued from our sins, not because of us, but because of what Christ did on the cross. And so I pray, Lord, for anyone here who is running away from you, Father, I know you will not stop pursuing them, but I pray they would stop running even now and that they would repent and turn from their sins and 
that they would embrace the grace of a holy God who has offered His Son up for them as the, the atoning sacrifice for their sins and my sins. And we are so grateful for that. I pray for any here this morning, Lord, who perhaps has long since made that decision. They've come to know You through Christ, through faith, by grace. But Lord, that works mentality has crept in and they find themselves identifying with that person in the letter I read. I've, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. God, why haven't You done this? Lord, help they and I to repent of that attitude that, that we're owed something to embrace the grace that is offered to us to serve you with a glad heart. We pray for these things in Christ's name now. Amen.